welcome to The Listening Tide. And this week's guest is Irene Koppelman. Welcome, Irene, to the living room. Thank you. Um, visual artist, researcher, specific kind of visual artist and researcher. Um, and I think this first track uh, definitely gives us an insight into that, or a first hint of it. What, what were we listening to? So we were listening to the sound in the forest in a place called Barro Colorado Island, BCI, mm -hmm. which is part of the Smithsonian in the in Panama. So it's a Smithson Smithsonian Tropical Research Institute, mm -hmm. and uh, they're based there. <coughs> they're based there. They have different stations, different research stations. This is one of them. The sound we just heard is from the archive of the Smithsonian, actually, mm -hmm. and I spent uh, quite a bit of time drawing uh, lianas in that forest. Lianas. Yeah. A, a very particular kind of vine? Uh, yeah, exactly. That's what lianas are. I definitely have some questions about this plant. Uh, but before we get to that, um, the Smithsonian has been there for how long, doing research there? The Smithsonian has been there for, I guess, about a hundred years, probably. Okay. And is there, to your knowledge, or did you inquire about sort of their initial a reason to go there and do research and how that sort of evolved in, into what they do now? Mm, yes, I mean the reason for which they it's interesting there in terms of biology is mm -hmm. because Panama is uh, very thin mm -hmm. in the map which means that the species have moved from the north to the south more easily more easily mm -hmm. through that little bridge so um, that's why it's interesting in terms of biology and some species have kind of stay in one side of the continent, some stay in the other, some cross. Mm -hmm. so it's, a, it's an interesting uh, place to look at the biology. That's how they ended up there. And also, it's of course a history, no? That the, the United States uh, um, ran the canal for sure. many years and at some point they, they left. Yeah. So the Smithsonian has to do with uh, that kind of history also. Mm. And uh, I imagine it's also very rich in species, and, and this being one of the reasons. It is tropical or subtropical? Yeah, it's tropical. Tropical. Uh, different than a temperate climate. There must be a lot of things to study. Yeah, a lot of things to study. And they have different stations. So they have Barro Colorado. They have also stations in the sea, mm. in both sides of the sea. The sea. Mm -hmm. And they have other stations in the other forest. So they, they do many, 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 many different things. And um, so how do you end up there? <laughs> how, do, how do you and your artistic practice end up there? So the first time, I've been there quite a number of times. Actually, I want to get back. But the first time was through a grant called SARF, which is a grant by, by the Smithsonian for mm -hmm. artists to work with the collections. And I didn't want to work with the collection, <laughs> but I wanted to, to see how scientists work in the field. So I've been working here in collections for some years with the entomology, fossils, mm -hmm. etc. And at some point I got curious to see how those things end up in those collections. So how the scientists themselves operate uh, and what kind of processes they use, systems of research. Yeah, exactly, kind of and collect. Like, how do you collect the butterfly? I mean, it's not, it's quite a job. <laughs> or how you collect lianas or how, how, how things en enter that uh, system of uh, classification later, eventually. And so the first, the, yeah, sorry. sorry, go ahead. Go no, ahead. the first trip, trip was that I spent like uh, about two weeks following people around, 
I went to different uh, stations, talked to different scientists, walked with them, mm -hmm. tried to understand how they work. That was the first time. And in these conversations, is it... Um, because I'm going to ask about your practice in, in just a moment, but in these conversations, do you... Uh, realize that uh, there is a, uh, a great difference in language, vocabulary, um, in the understanding of, of those surroundings. Does that come up often? Hmm. I mean, it depends. I mean, they more relaxed about using words that for us are we are more stiff about it, like mm. beauty. Duty. Beauty. Oh, beauty. Okay. So they're quite uh, free with those things. They, they, they talk about it with no... Uh, historical burden as mm. we do as artists but they do see the things that they w work with and, and within as they do assign it aesthetic quality then they do yeah. really yeah, yeah there is a lot of intuition there is a lot of passion so that, that notion of objectivity that rests above the scientific process isn't always uh, the case mm. it comes later mm. or probably comes at the same time but they it's not that they don't have other uh, interests Mm. Things. They do see the beauty, and the and so it's also this so sociological level, I guess, that you're interested yeah, in. Yeah, and, and this is what allows communication yeah. also for me to them, with them. I mean, uh, somewhere we are kind of in a very similar page uh, in that stage. Later, the work is very different, but uh, when you work in the field, it's, it's not so so different. I would describe your own practice as. Um, um, often incorporating that scientific uh, language in its presentation, but also uh, how it's... Uh, ...applied uh, later again in your publications, for example. I is that very... Um, is that what you take from, from these experiences, perhaps in working with science, I into art? Or is it because you've always found yourself to be sort of in the, in, on the balance between the two? Mm, I think it's both. I mean, it, uh, it transpires into the... Because I, I spend a lot of time in those environments. Mm. A lot. Probably more than in our environment. So Our being uh, the artistic uh, yeah, one. Yeah, totally. So I, I very, very often... Um, I'm immersed in those environments, so it's uh, it kind of transpires into my practice for sure. Um, and it's also an organic, in terms of display, for me it's an organic way of displaying a practice like that. So it's very systematic, mm -hmm. it's very programmatic. Mm -hmm. uh, I have questions, I answer them through drawings. Mm -hmm. So there's a time uh, involved in that. So in, in a way, it's like a natural consequence of a, of a system of working, let's say. With a linearity to it. Yeah. Yeah. So I work, normally I create for myself like protocols, which are somehow questions that have to do with drawing. Yeah. And then I, I exhaust them, sort of. Yeah. And that I like to bring that into the display also. So it has to do with the I, I don't uh, ap apply a display form into the yeah uh, shows normally but i try to uh, let the process uh, set up the within the yeah. the context of a show yeah. for one of a better word exactly mm. and so this track that we heard uh howler monkeys yeah yeah 
yeah. in Panama. Uh, you didn't record it yourself, uh, I imagine. I do, you don't work that much with sound when no. you're on site. Yeah, I'm not, but uh, I did. I did not. <laughs> but yeah. I think this uh, was an interesting proposition to do this mm -hmm. because it made me realize how much I do get affected by uh, the sound environment. Because when you invited me, I immediately started thinking about those sounds mm -hmm. that kind of enter the the process because it's so strong, as you might have heard. I mean, you're trying to draw. I normally right. try to draw. I'm normally alone. Yeah. And I spend many hours. So to hear those sounds, it really enters your imagination. It's not that you're sitting there and you kind of uh, detach from the sound. Yeah. So it made me kind of think that maybe I should start uh, and uh, and why this one? Uh, because if for you it's uh, perhaps such a strong and clear sort of indication of uh, the jungle, of uh, of a jungular. I don't know if that's a word. Sorry, but sort of environment. I I, I that's the sound I heard. So mm. that's uh, recorded in the area where I was drawing. Okay. So it it was uh, it's actually constant. You fall asleep with it. You yeah. wake up with it. You walk <laughs> and it's there and you're sitting and drawing and you hear it. Yeah. And then you deal with it because sometimes it gets. It takes a while not to be scared. So the howler monkey specifically. Yeah, yeah. or which, whatever produces the sound in the forest. Yeah, if you hear that for the first time. Yeah, you, when you I hear imagine. it the first time, you have no idea. Someone explains you what it is and mm. eventually relax. But uh, it's a very strong uh, environment. And so uh, I imagine you're sitting... Uh, I'm sorry to ask us practical things, but I'm just curious about the setting. Uh, uh, on the ground, on a chair... Uh, do you have a tent? Uh, so it changes. How much paper do you bring? Uh, what technique do you work with? No, those questions for me are interesting because that's what makes it um, uh, different to work in those environments. So it depends and it changes a lot depending on the um, setups I mean, and the complications of the season and the environment. So in that particular place, there are a lot of... Um, how you call those uh, insects that suck, <laughs> suck your blood? The mosquitoes. No, not the mosquitoes, the ones that get hooked to you. Ticks. Ticks. Mm. So there are a lot of ticks, okay. which is uh, not my favorite uh, insect. So what I would do is to put a huge piece of plastic, like mm -hmm. quite huge, like three by three kind mm -hmm. of thing, and mm -hmm. then uh, an a chair on top of it. Yeah. And then I would sit there. I work in other forests where the mosquitoes were unbearable, so I had a mosquito kind of tent around me, yeah. like portable, that I would mm. put in between trees. But in this particular forest, the issue were more the ticks. And this is the uh, lineas uh, yeah, the that lineas. you were studying. Yeah. It just say, uh, I mean, I did some uh, some looking up some research on it myself. Uh, a linea is a long-stemmed woody vine that is rooted in the soil at ground level. And it uses trees as well as other means of vertical support to climb up to the canopy in search of direct sunlight. It's, it reads a little bit like a, like a greedy plant. Yeah, uh, it's if a I very may. greedy plant. It's very smart. Yeah. So basically what it does is it doesn't use the energy to, to have a trunk. Mm -hmm. So it uses the tree's energy. So it goes faster mm -hmm. and takes the, takes the light. So it's actually quite a mean um, plant. And it's quite interesting. And it creates really weird shapes because it finds ways to, to climb. So it uh, creates uh, super strange uh, forms. Which for me are but because there is no fast uh, fastened form for it. It, it, it isn't exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to go through other trees, and that's why it creates very intricate shapes. 
They're incredible. More different than the vines we could imagine. Uh, in, let's call it a European context. Yeah, it's a lot uh, thicker. And yeah, it's everything in the tropics is like kind of crazy. Mm. So it goes, yeah, it's just very uh, alive. It goes quicker. The you whole can almost ecosystem. see it grow in a way. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, the ecosystems in the forest are crazy. Like from one year to the other, mm -hmm. is something fall. Yeah. It's what they call it's the gone. forest gas yeah. gap, and then it, it's gone really, really so super quick. It's crazy. I heard that the linias do have a positive uh, function in that sense, that they also offer a, a certain um, advantaged uh, transit for certain animals, yeah. either through the linias themselves, like ants, they can easily get around uh, by going up through the top, then top and down top. again. Yeah. No, and now also they're studying if they, because they also have leaves, and so yeah. they also have processes of photosynthesis so now they're trying to see they're trying to measure how if it's they do something good also in those terms but they're also the uh, symptoms basically i mean they're when the forest is being disturbed if you mm. have a pristine forest you don't have lianas so it's a sign of something that uh, has been burned the forest has been burned ah, okay. agriculture so it's a it's a measure interesting and the and, and you come to know this from your own research, but also in, in the conversations with the scientists that are working alongside you. Yeah, exactly. I work with a person called Stefan Schnitzer, mm -hmm. and he works with Lianas. He runs some very big uh, projects monitoring how they grow, yeah. how they affect the tree, very very long long term. So they measure everything. Because they also play a role in the in the future of carbon uh, yeah, exactly. offset and things like this. Yeah, no? that's what they're seeing, and it changed a lot. Apparently, it gets in the way basically of. Uh, regenerating carbon dioxide into oxygen because of its quick, smart, greedy nature. Yeah, I mean, eventually the trees die. Yeah. I mean, it, it can happen. It they can lose their sunlight. Mm -hmm. mm. So if they die, it's, uh, yeah. And so you're, uh, so the, the urgency of the scientists is there to understand this, this process and to see where science, as it often does, it can tap into it, uh, perhaps alter it, put it to the hand of betterment or find some technique or application for it uh, and and you're there looking at um, the way it grows uh, its speed the shapes it can take um, its textures the kind of materiality it has yeah uh, and it's never i mean i normally spend a lot quite some time with the scientists first mm -hmm, before mm -hmm. i decide my own protocol so i first try to understand how they work what do they look at uh, yeah, I try to get a grip okay. and then I slowly define my own protocols and they normally, they're quite uh, unuseful <laughs> for them. <laughs> for <laughs> I, them? For, yeah, yeah okay. normally I end up looking at something that it kind of didn't matter. To them? To them. Okay. That's Can you give us one example? I'm just curious. Well, uh, with Eliana it was actually crazy because I started working and then at some, I always show my work to them. Yeah. And then, uh, of course, I didn't look at the, the one part that is relevant. Ah. To the to their studies because that's my my call didn't take me there so yeah. I was very interested in the in the patterns yeah. and the shapes and how they find their way and try to avoid looking at the floor I didn't look at where they root ah, right. and I didn't look at trees actually I was not interested in the trees yeah. so the trees kind of remind the ghostly sort of yeah so it's, it's, yeah it's always funny to to find out that at the end it's very different. And in your drawings often you leave that sort of uh, void around it. Uh, it heightens the understanding of it as a, a scientific um, 
documentation somehow, a register, uh, because of the white that you often have around on these drawings. It, it really does somehow make it removed and, and you concentrate on what you see, but that abstraction from uh, natural phenomenon to scientific interest to artistic interpretation, is there something you could add, add to that in, in, in that process? Do I even say that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, for me, my questions are completely connected to drawing. Okay. Like uh, how to draw, how to frame, like very old questions of uh, drawing. Very, uh, yeah, like I think people drawing made themselves those questions for centuries. How to draw, what the window you create, how you create a window, how you look, yeah. how you scale. So those are the questions I always have where, wherever I sit. But but in this case, very very specific to certain places and certain things. Um, we're going to take a little trip to another place. Uh, how far away is this? Because uh, it's, it's also in Panama. Yeah, it's also in Panama. It's another research station called Boca del Toro. Yeah. It's more like they do more like sea studies. I'll tell you later more. Uh, no howler monkeys in this one. Uh, a specific kind of bird? Do you know what that was? No. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's not your specialty. <laughs> no, I don't look at the words. I like them, but... Um, but this was a specific context. Yeah, this was in the... So I was here... It, it's a little... It's a creek mm -hmm. in the Boca del Toro. So mm -hmm. Boca, Boca del Toro had a sea. Yeah. And then I was working with mangroves. So I was trying to find the right distance to the mangroves to draw. And the right distance? Yeah, so <laughs> because that's also important if you make drawings. So you have to find a good viewpoint, I would say. Mm -hmm. So if you, if I would be in the open sea, for example, I, I had to be in a boat. Yeah. So if I would be in the open sea, uh, the boat moves a lot. Sure. So those kind of things really matter in my practice. So basically what we did was to find a little creek and that's where I started uh, making the drawings and those sounds are from there. Um, there's a picture of you in one of your publications where you're in this boat. Uh, as you said before, now you're thinking about the sounds of places and maybe also the rhythms in general. Uh, small waves, the birds indeed, the buzzing of mosquitoes. So in, with this understanding of, of your surroundings, does it change a lot when it's mangroves uh, and, and it's a boat? It's kind of a strange question, but... 
I'm trying to get an understanding of um, the theater, I suppose, of, of being there in the jungle and, and, and doing the research as an artistic endeavor. Um, because art for many centuries has traveled with science to record things and interpret it in such a way that it becomes more than science alone. As you say, scientists uh, also understand their surroundings in terms of beauty. Uh, and yet, there's something uh, off about both of you being there. Mm -hmm. And and maybe this is what I'm asking about how conscious uh, you and, and in conversations with the scientists you all are about this. Yeah. So for me, it's, I mean, actually, that's why I do it in a way. I could of, uh, more comfortably at home, of course. And uh, then you're not uh, beaten by mosquitoes. Or <laughs> in this case, we're chitras, which are really annoying also. Oh, right. Yeah. So that those things for me are very, very important because uh, I, f I think it creates a different way of drawing. It triggers different things mm. in the drawing. So if you're in a boat or if you're in the jungle or if you're in different environments, it creates a different uh, constriction to the work and that creates different responses also. So I think it pushes the process into completely different scenarios than what uh, someone, me or anyone else can do in a controlled environment. And is could you call that like an uh, uh, an added re reality, or would it be considered in terms of truer, uh, more objective? I don't know if it's truer, and maybe it's even less objective. But it's uh, yeah, maybe it's truer. I I don't know if that's a word, but it's a real. It's an experience. Hmm. So the experience determines the way I draw. Yeah, and that's very very different. I don't know if it's better or worse. It's, it's okay. But so from your understanding of what artistic practice is for you, to be able to um, um, translate that curiosity that you have can only be done by being there in, in that sense. Yeah, for me, yes. Because I, I just, uh, it's not about producing an image for me. Yeah. It's not about having a drawing of a mangrove. It's not that I want to have a drawing of a mangrove. I just want to understand those mangroves myself. And drawing them is the way to understand them. Yeah, on that side. I mean... If I sit in front of a picture, I have no idea of... Uh, it's co very quite complicated to draw a mangrove. You have to... There are distances, there's a lot of superpositions, overlaps. They have this crazy way of working. And it was also nice to draw them after the lianas because they also grow in patterns, mm -hmm. but they're very different. So all those questions, like, you kind of get to understand something about those environments when drawing in those environments. Yeah. Is there a kind of um, activism in that, just out of curiosity? Um, you know, at the moment, uh, in our Western culture, but I think everywhere around the world, it's, it's finally becoming a global understanding and conversation, um, where specifically these kind of uh, ecological studies uh, that are to very specific and very vulnerable. I mean, the mangrove is in big trouble uh, all along the Caribbean coast because it isn't it's often not considered to be a beautiful yeah. coastline uh, plant but no. it, it does indeed stop uh, tidal problems uh, overflowing it's it's a crucial part of, of an ecosystem uh, and 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 you're working very closely with it very dedicatedly with it and bringing it back also to people who have never seen uh, specifically smell the mangrove because it's a very specific smell also mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the reason for which I start working on these subjects normally has to do with the uh, understanding the relevance of it. So that's how I 
that's why I start in principle that I start understanding that something is relevant for the ecosystem and it's normally fragile and then I, I see if there is a potential for drawing some things are relevant for the environment but they are not very appealing for me for drawing so I do try sometimes but it doesn't work mm -hmm. in the case of mangroves it did but I have also experiences where I go to a place I think it's a super subject and then the drawings don't come up out very interestingly and I have to let go because I move in between both for me both things are equally important yeah in a way. but yeah of course for me I mean I don't I especially the way the world is going and the amount of people claiming to be an activist I kind of try to avoid mentioning it but mm -hmm. uh, that's actually my my interest okay it comes from there for caring yeah and I think also that's why I thought your proposal was interesting because it has to do a lot of with listening because the way when you draw these things you really have to understand them and in, in a way they have a agency so it's not only me there's something there that kind of I don't know and that's uh, dormant or, or not yeah probably dormant or it has some form of uh, yeah it has something that uh, I feel the drawings are not complete and they are mine of course I'm there to enhance it but uh, there is something there that you have to look and that's the listening part and that's the listening part and doing it time and time again because there is an incredible repetition in your work it's very dedicated uh, somehow it opens up I mean you do one drawing it super you think you're not able to do it because it's so complicated you do it another day and it's a bit better third day by the number 10 you kind of understood how they grow why, how they do it why they do it where they will go yeah. I think, if I remember correctly, in one of your publications, there's a, uh, call it a story, about uh, a certain part of a rock where four different scenarios were created for it, to understand it better, to listen mm -hmm. to it, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But um, becoming, uh, uh, claiming an agency in how that specific part of the ecosystem could change. So one was covering it up, uh, the other one was sealing it off completely, and one was leaving it... Am I yeah, yeah, remembering totally. something? Yeah, Could totally. you explain it? Sorry. Yeah, so they do it, these things a lot in ecological studies. So they create little small scenarios where things can be one way, the other, or the mm -hmm. other. So the one you're remembering, it's uh, also in Panama, in uh, Punta Culebra, which is also a marine station. And they have the bare rock, as it is, as it would be if nothing happened. They have another little closure, they call it, and it, that's uh, covering it with shade, with a little roof. They have another one with a cage, so they keep predators out. Mm -hmm. And they have one other with keeping the predators and the uh, light Aye. out. So they see all the different scenarios, what it would happen if. But it's, it's quite common and I quite like, that's why I like to work with ecologists, because they create little... These little worlds, they change little things. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and changes a lot, actually. Yeah, you see it. Uh, you see, I see it. I did a series of drawings also of those four scenarios. Is this a sort of heightened uh, kind of listening? Because in a way, I'm interested in that sort of uh, the, that position then that the scientists and you as well then as an artist who's there uh, take in, in, in proactively changing that, that, that ecosystem. Even if it's just this really small part, I find that it's tiny. intriguing. Yeah, it's tiny. Huh? I'm sure it's tiny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, for me it hurt. Like even I, I work with sponges and I have to cut them and for me it was a disaster. Mm. But they do it a lot and they do it in larger scales yeah but uh, 
yeah, I think it's justified by their, in their cases, justified by their objectives. Do conversations go in this direction ever or no? I mean, w sometimes, sometimes, but it's, it's, it's clear for them. I mean, it's not that they haven't thought it through. I mean, they know how much they need. They don't overcome. I mean, it's not that they go crazy. No, no, of course. I mean, I would, I would imagine not. It's kind of control and they do the minimum that they think it's necessary and it's important. It's important what they do. So you brought a track uh, where we hear them. Can you say a little bit about it or do you want to say it afterwards? I, I, I mean, it's a, I just give a little introduction. I joined this uh, year, last year, actually, uh, an expedition in the sea with the uh, Tara Ocean. Mm. So I embarked uh, a, yeah, a research vessel for, for a month. And uh, what you're going to hear is uh, some, some sound that I did record myself. Esperando la última hora. Esperando la hora de su trabajo. Está Sort of the conversations uh, together and and the reality of the boat, nostalgic a little bit, or no? Nostalgic, yeah, I yeah, it was amazing, yeah, sure. Do you dream a lot? Actually, uh, so the question just occurred to me. Do you dream a lot of these? Uh, I dream these journeys that you take. Yeah, especially in this one was uh, some of them more than the others, but this one was intense. Why is that? We were at sea, open sea, one month, mm. and no internet, no phone. So this is quite powerful to be at sea, and yeah, it was it was crazy. It was really intense. So I dream a lot, really a lot. About it still, or specifically then? Uh, well, now I'm funnily enough, uh, I'm transcribing the notes for okay. a book I'm writing, so it's bringing a lot of uh, memories. Also. The notes that you wrote or the notes? Yeah. Ah, yeah okay. So um, yeah, coincidentally, I was working on that also today. So there, there were I was reading the dreams and. Uh, Quite nice. And um, what else are you working on? What else am I working on? Now I'm working, I have a show very soon mm -hmm. in Spain, in a place called Ceresales, in which I was working there for a couple of years, uh, doing field work with the geology, more connected to geology. Mm -hmm. It was with the geologists and then working with the environment for, uh, yeah, for some time. And uh, we have a beautiful publication uh, that you brought along. The wonderful thing about the listening tide, it's completely non-visual. Um, but uh, one of the first things we spoke about is this addendum that you put in the back. Uh, I think we should 
Mensen, ja. Give it a little bit of a shine. No? Yeah. Um, so you had a project in Nice, went on for many years. Um, uh, you should. Yeah. So I, I basically work um, connected to a museum called Mamak, and two laboratories, uh, one in Villefranche and one in Nice, and they work with these two little organisms that they regenerate. One is called Botrylus, and mm -hmm. it's like colonial, and the other one is called Nematostella. And it's Specifically two kinds of organisms. That's it. That's it. Okay. So one lab work with one. is One of the first times I work in a lab, so I'm more used to what we heard before, which mm -hmm. is being in the field. Mm -hmm. This was a scholarship I got to work in these two laboratories. That They have a very, very particular issue, which is that they regenerate. So the, it's biology, but it's uh, linked to more to health studies. Mm -hmm. So those, those little animals are quite similar to us uh, genetically. So they're trying to see how they regenerate. They don't get sick. They don't age, actually. So they don't die, in principle. So they're trying to see how they do very it. very attractive to science, I yeah. would imagine. Yeah, so they're trying to see how those animals do it and if that eventually can be used. And so th uh, this research is going to take place no matter what. Uh, yeah. And then you as an artist... How, how do you come uh, so I enter that how do you uh, show up I, I show up spend a lot of time I spent basically all the pandemic uh, there they invited you or you found them so I found the, I work already with the museum with Mamak and when I was invited to a show there I said that's a pity because I knew of an institute of a research in Villefranche it's mm. one of the oldest uh, marine stations in uh, Europe so I really wanted to do work there so we started developing anyway. so I had a show in 2019 with her at Mamak with uh, Ellen Ganan, and then we started developing slowly this uh, connection, then we got a grant, then we linked to the other lab. So it was a very, very long term. Yeah. We had a show last year finishing the project, now a book that I brought here, and then the year before when I was there, we had a workstation with children, yeah. in which I articulated uh, the understanding of biology through drawing, so yeah. trying to kind of come share with others the way I, I think through drawing so that was like a workstation and in this uh, workshop situation I suppose then um, we spoke about it drawing is listening you know uh, the way you look but also the way it sort of translates onto the page is that then part of was it sort of part of it uh, the drawings are amazing I think uh, very impressive Yeah, the drawings are amazing, and so the biologists would go and explain the biology, yeah. and then I would articulate drawing exercises that were not actually easy. Sure. I, w I wasn't trying to make the the biology easy or the drawing process easy, just trying to s understand the drawing is a way of thinking, mm -hmm. and anyone can actually use it. It's a, it's a very powerful tool, Yeah. and uh, if you let people do it, they do it. You just have to trust. And it was kind of uh, funny because the teachers were scared. The professors were like, uh, no, that's too difficult. And I was like, no, that's not too difficult. Just let them do it. And the drawings are amazing. Yeah. And it was really quite uh, amazing. Um, thank you very much, Elena. This has been super nice. You're very welcome. I enjoyed Um We're going to leave uh, the listeners with... Um, Yeah, I suppose a little bit of insight into being for one month, no phone, no internet, uh, sitting on the deck of a boat. Um, and look forward to it next time.